My name is Tiffany, and you're listening to Voices of INSEAD. Together, we listen to the stories of our incredible peers from across the globe and discuss topics such as professional, cultural, and life experiences in an open and genuine way. Let's get to it. Hi, guys. Uh, welcome to a new episode. Today, we're talking to Emma. Hello. For those who don't know her, Emma Thompson Murphy, who likes to be called Ents. She's from Canada, and she's lived in New Zealand, Australia, and the UK in the past five years before coming to INSEAD, which is a very typical INSEAD <laughs> experience, and also London, right? London for the past five years before uh, INSEAD, but before that, Australia, New Zealand, Canada. Nice. Sorry, I misread. She studied economics and music, so she has two very strong interests at Dalhousie University, University of Otago. I'm not sure I said that right. Yeah, no, spot on. Spot on, okay. Uh, before coming to INSEAD, she has a very um, unique background. She worked in the music industry. She started off in the artist management division of a company and was the associate director of Oasis Festivals in Morocco, which she promised to invite us to next year. <laughs> uh, she now works with them still on a consultancy basis, so they can't get... They can't replace her, they're replaceable. Um, she's traveled solo around the world for 18 months after graduating university. I, let's find out in a bit where she went. She's very outdoorsy. She started the Mountain Seat Club with Arno. She loves to climb, ride her bike, loves sports in general. And she obviously also quite likes music uh, and reading. And she came to Seat because she wanted to pivot up, up the music industry. Two truths and a lie are that she was on a 90-hour train. She snuck out of a Russian military checkpoint and illegally crossed the Russian-Georgian border. And she played competitive ice hockey as a left wing. These are shocking truths. <laughs> we will find out at the end. Um, another thing that she shared with me is that she has extensive experience with recording. She worked in a radio show at her university, right? It was actually the... Uh, it was the top two radio stations in Halifax, Nova Scotia, uh, where I went to university, so that town. So they were like the classic rock music station and then like the alt indie radio station. Okay, nice. And your job was very particular, right? Yes. So I led the promo team. So my job was to, whenever we the radio station would help sponsor events, We'd go and then just be like, hey, listen to Q104. But then in the summer, we'd have these cruisers and we'd have the company vehicle. And one of my jobs one summer was to uh, every day, Monday to Friday at lunchtime, go and deliver pizzas to a different construction site every day. And then from the construction site, call into the radio station and uh, do a cutaway, which is like a minute long um, segment on like, hey, this is Emma with Q104, and I'm here with Bob the Builder today, and what do you think about your pizza pizzas for lunch? Did that produce sales? Did you have some, that's a very smart business plan. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I got free pizzas from Pete's Pizza every day. It worked out That for was you. good. For me, definitely yeah. worked out. How did Bob the Builder feel about his pizzas? Well, they felt great, you know. <laughs> I can already tell also that you have your radio voice. I need to tell them that. <laughs> I keep losing my voice, so that's going to be really hard. So tell us more. I feel like you're prob you're the only person from the music industry, right, in our class? No, there's also Yash. So Yash um, 
his family has a record label, I believe. Okay. So he helped um, do valuations, if I'm nice. not mistaken. And how was your process then entering the music industry? Because you studied both economics and music, but I guess you were more on the business side of music? Yes. Okay. Um, well, from a young age, so like from five, I started playing piano and then started playing drums at 10, taught myself how to play guitar. Uh, and I always wanted to be like a music producer. I was such a little nerd, like reading all these books on um, my favorite musicians and stuff. And then I got to a certain age, I think it was probably 14, and I just thought, yeah, I don't think I'm talented enough to be a big time music producer or it's more out of my control. So then I thought, well, maybe I can just do music business instead. So then when I went to university, I decided to double major in economics and music, but it, music being musicology, not like an applied degree. So uh, what's musicology for all us idiots out there? It's, uh, <laughs> you're not idiots. It's very niche. It's like <laughs> the, the sociological uh, impact of music. I guess right. so like some classes that I took would be history of jazz, history of pop music, pre-1960 and post-1960. Um, I did a class on child prodigies and then I got to do some uh, more one-on-one -on -one classes with professors that I developed like on the music business or my economics uh, honors thesis I did on the recorded versus live music industries. Okay, wow. And how was the process entering the industry? Uh, so throughout undergrad, I worked um, at this radio station, at a publishing house, and I started my own music blog because that was the thing to do back then. And I put on um, a, a concert with a good friend of mine as well. And that got me started on that whole music industry journey mm -hmm. and when I graduated I traveled for a year and a half around the world uh, and while I was traveling I volunteered at different music festivals one of them it was the first year of Oasis Festival and I was a production assistant flash forward a couple of years I go back to Oasis uh, and at the end of that festival the co-founder offered me a full-time position or year-round for the festival and my other bosses who were running the artist liaison team also offered me a job to come work in the UK so they combined and gave me a joint job offer so that I would move over to the UK and that was kind of how it started. I'm just wondering because it's a very different industry, right? Like how difficult was it? You move from country to country. How difficult was it to get gigs in different music festivals? And what, because I'm sure it's not the same as a corporate job, right? It's So it's very much who you know. So okay. how I got started in Halifax at university, that was just like research, giving in my CV to a bunch of people. And then eventually I got lucky and got a couple jobs mm -hmm. but then outside of that outside of Halifax the festivals you can anyone can volunteer at a festival so it's just applying to volunteer because festivals always need extra people power yeah and then it's just making those connections with the people at the festival so that you can then come back and get a job the next year or yeah. 
So that's, you're always building on that. Unfortunately, in the music industry, it's usually kind of that internship yeah. route that you do. So you're if, not paid at the beginning and you basically create connections exactly. to eventually get a paying job. Exactly. Because uh, it's, it's who you know and yeah. it's all about reputation. So if you, if you ruin your reputation, then you kind of screw yourself over in the long run. And what type of people have paying jobs there? Do you feel like it's... It's people that are like, motivated by the music itself, by the industry itself, or do you actually have people who are also interested in having full-time jobs or jobs? I'm just curious what type of people work in that industry. I think you need to separate out the events industry from the rest of the music industry mm-hmm. because it's, it's very much a gig culture for the events industry, which is actually really harmed Uh, the events industry on a whole post-COVID. Because of COVID, all these people who are relying on their their jobs at festivals throughout the summer, because you're going to have certain people who run or are key people, like key players for a bunch of different festivals. And when COVID happened, they can't just sit there and wait around because there's no welfare system for them. They're they're self-employed, so they're not getting any government payouts. So a lot of these people actually shifted into the film industry because if you can produce a music festival, mm-hmm. you can you can do location, you can do you can produce or have different roles on a film set. It's like a, a, in the creative industries in that sector, it is your skill set is very uh, malleable. Yeah. So the the other thing is that the film industry pays way more than the events industry. Yeah. So then coming back from COVID, what I saw was that festivals were having not only a really difficult time selling tickets because of the uncertainty of the economy and of what's going to happen a couple months down the line, will we go into a lockdown again? But also you have all these skilled employees uh, who are leaving the industry in droves. So mm-hmm. you had lots of events or festivals being run with people who don't have that experience. So that was like a real source of frustration for a lot of people. Um, but I think also, if you look at how COVID has impacted the music industry, even today, you have lots of artists who aren't in the UK who aren't touring, who have to cancel tours because it's too expensive for them to travel to Europe, mm-hmm. cost of living going up. And then you also have the music industry on the whole being uh, not that affordable for yeah. like, it, do you know what I mean? Where yeah. like that it's the reason, one of the reasons I'm here because I was working so much and I loved what I did, mm. but I came to a point where I was like, okay, I need a new challenge and I need a new challenge that will help me continue my life in a, in a more sustainable way. Because did it affect you personally, COVID? I was lucky in that because of I was sponsored uh, and I worked for a company and I'm an artist manager that I didn't solely rely on the live music industry. Whereas my colleagues who are just in a booking agency who rely solely on live shows for their income, as an artist manager, you have so many different uh, streams of revenue streams, whether that's from releasing music, brand partnerships, publishing deals, you know, the list goes on. So I was actually able to help the company stay afloat through 
COVID through these different revenue streams. Mm -hmm. But it forced people to be really creative with how they handled it because most artists nowadays rely uh, mainly on their live uh, income stream to survive. Interesting. So even more than marketing, at least I, I don't know what type of... So you're going to have stuff, well, for example, sorry, Spotify, if you're listening, <laughs> Spotify pays 0.003 pence a stream. Yeah. So if you're an artist and you get a million streams, you're going to get a check for 3,000 pounds. Yeah, that's crazy. But that 3,000 pounds has to then be divided by your label or distributor. It has to be divided then by your team or other people who are on the master side of the of the record so that's that really comes down like to a fraction of what you're gonna get yeah. of that overall check i wonder like maybe you have more insights on this like why do people even sign up with spotify considering these circumstances because you have to and there is no alternative the alternative is we go back to piracy but this is convenient and it's like you are getting paid but we're still in that that beginning phase of how we're dealing with streaming and artist revenue like mm -hmm. it, it's unprecedented so it's i always view the music industry as the wild west and that's yeah. very much that because there are low barriers to entry to the industry because it's all you just put in a grind and it's who you know that there are it's rare to see standardizations across the industry as a whole. Every country has their own way of handling stuff from uh, performing rights payments to neighboring rights payments to how metadata is handled um, and you know, IP like rights, everything. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, I've lost my train of thought, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you're basically saying that it's a new industry, right? So that's, that's why people are still joining Spotify. Well, there's no alternative yet. It's a very old industry. Yeah. But for an artist, you're going to be on all the platforms that you can because it's actually quite good for fan generation. Mm. And if you can have your music on a platform like Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, and you can get on a Discover Weekly playlist and that person who's listening is like, wow, I really like this band. And then if you can flip that listener, that passive listener into an active listener, and then into a fan, that fan who is going to be loyal will generate way more revenue for you in the long run through ticket sales, through purchasing physical product. Mm -hmm. um, because once you have that fan, you have that brand loyalty that is, I think, quite unique to the music industry. It's really interesting. Um, so did you really feel, I'm just curious because a lot of people maybe have a big interest but then join an industry and would be disappointed by it. Did you, and you mentioned you really loved working in the music industry. I'd love to know like what did you love about it? And was it what you expected going into it? I did love working in it, but I also didn't like working in it. Okay. <laughs> um, I think a dangerous thing about making your passion your career uh if if you're not actually a musician let's say mm. is that 
I found myself listening to less music because listening to music was part of my job. So it was less, uh, there was less enjoyment out of it after a while. And that was a place that I didn't want to be. Mm. I found that, I mean, you always hear the, the stories from back in the day of like what the music industry used to be like, you know, like people would have cocaine in their drawers at the the big record labels and stuff sorry i don't know if i'm allowed to say that but trading trading i was also promised that going into trade sales and trading yeah it was over um (laughs) but nowadays it's it's evolving i mean i I definitely had some run-ins with uh lack of uh female representation within the industry mm-hmm. or if you're on tour people saying oh you must be the merch lady or oh you're the singer or something I'm like this band doesn't even have a singer like <laughs> well how have you not done your research but um I think I just found the music industry after a while to I just got jaded yeah and I found it to be a bit superficial um there are artists who are out there grinding and doing amazing things but on the whole, the marketing and what you have to do to gain more fans or gain attention, um, or even claiming uh, to be a social activist is just the superficiality of it all was getting to me. And I felt like in 10 years time, could I, the only thing that would change in terms of what I would be doing would be if I was working with different clients. Mm-hmm. My job role would more or less say, stay the same as an artist manager. And that was something that I felt I couldn't do. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And so you had, um, you talked about the fact that a family friend was trying to convince you to come to Inset since you're 16. Yes. Um, I'd love to know like, what was the process of deciding to come to a school like this? So, yeah, as you said, family friend, he went to INSEAD, his dad went to INSEAD. Um, when I was in high school, he said that I should consider INSEAD. And that was just, you know, that inception point. And then yeah. e- ever since that moment, it was like, oh, INSEAD. Did he have any arguments for you? <laughs> for me? Yes. Uh, you know, great school, really tough, uh, diverse, but it was an experience of a lifetime. You know, the usual... Uh, bullet points and so since that moment I think I realized even in my undergrad that I wanted to get a second degree like a a graduate program and for a while I was deciding what I wanted to do at one point I was considering law school which thank god that I didn't do that I don't know that was a severe lapse of judgment um you love reading so (laughs) um and then I was like MBA makes sense. It is somewhere that I've considered for a long time. I've heard great things about it. I actually came and visited INSEAD five years ago, six years ago. That's insane. Um, and it is a, I've heard great things about it. I actually came and visited INSEAD five years ago, six years ago. That's insane. Um, and it is a. I didn't want to go to the states, because mm. two years, um, the states is also. I don't think somewhere I, I want to go or live, considering uh, what's happening there right now, um, and INSEAD 
best school in Europe. And yeah, it made sense and would be a good signifier to companies that I could be hired. Yeah. Because like if coming from the music industry, it's like, okay, what is what is this person doing here? Why are they applying for whatever job I'm going to apply to? But if they see INSEAD, then they'll say, okay, maybe we can consider her. And do you have an idea of what you would potentially do next? Are you open to things? Uh, I have a dream job in mind. I don't know how likely it is, okay. but it's just one I'm spitballing right now. I don't know if I should even say it to like put something in the ether forever, because then if I don't do it, then it will be like... Is it a real job or you invented it? I've kind of invented it. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know if it exists. <laughs> Um, you can decide to share it or not. Um, but basically it would be in, involved with uh, creative pro and problem solving and innovation for global issues, whether okay. that's using uh, AI or different technology. So if anyone's listening and knows, knows this <laughs> job, please, please send it over to Emma. My, my, She's a taker. <laughs> She's ready to solve the world's problems in creative ways. Yeah, my, my pitch is... I can manage the team that is solving these issues <laughs> because if, if I can manage creative musical geniuses, I can manage creative engineering geniuses. Okay, it makes sense. Emma's ready to be the boss. Yeah. <laughs> um, you solve the problems. I'll make sure you met it. No, it's a bad joke. Okay. No, I mean, this makes a lot of sense. I like it. I like the activism. Do you feel like um, at Inside a lot of people have this view on the world that they're activists? Because I think a lot of people from the outside might have a view on inside people as business people, right? Like, is that is that a case? Or do you feel like there's more people like you, dreamers, basically? I've actually heard uh, at the Fontainebleau market that <laughs> some people think that this is a capitalist breeding ground and that they hate everyone that goes to Who? <laughs> what? How did you overhear this in French or in English? Uh, it... Franglish. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, anything that happens on the marketplace. I know, exactly. It's a wild place, that market. I Watch can't it. believe. Did they look what at was directly it? as they, they were, were shucking that? oysters. So it's like, you're shucking oysters and having white wine on a Sunday. And you're saying, you're you're making fun of INSEAD for breeding capitalists. I'm like, take a look in the mirror. Did you look at them and smile? I would definitely approach someone like this. <laughs> I'm inappropriate. <laughs> um, activists. I think there definitely are activists at, at INSEAD, um, but we signed up for the diversity. And that's one thing that I have been intrigued and grateful for, is that the diversity, yes, it's where people are coming from, but it's diversity in point of view, mm. which is fascinating. I'm enjoying thoroughly having conversations with people um, or debates with people on topics that I never thought I would debate. Like yeah. I on issues that I never thought I would have to uh, defend my position because in my mind I'm like obviously everyone thinks this way. Yeah, it's true. So that that's that's really interesting. Even like off political spectrum. Like I I've been very much insulated in a left bubble being in the the music industry. So having chats with people and understanding their points of view is uh, I think the most valuable experience that we can all get yeah it's true it's nice do you have anything specific you want to share yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, there have been a couple interesting conversations 
I don't know if I should say them on on uh, on the air. Maybe talk to Emma after the air. Yeah. <laughs> if she you want to find out more, come see me and I'll tell you. <laughs> well, I need I need your voice. I need you to make a jingle for me. Um, but yeah, we're coming towards towards the end, so maybe you can touch back to the two truths in the life that we had. Um, the ninety-hour train. There's the ninety-hour train snucking out of a Russian military checkpoint and illegally crossing the Russian-Georgian border, which is really specific, and playing competitive ice hockey as a left wing. Tell us which one is it. <laughs> the lie is playing competitive ice hockey as a left wing. I was actually a goalie. Wow, <laughs> mind blown! I can't believe you played competitive ice hockey. <laughs> I guess that's maybe normal as a Canadian. Uh, yeah, as a Canadian, but it's yeah. Pretty. Do you wear like these protective things that bulk you up? Yes. Yeah, you're getting like rubber pucks shot at you at like seventy kilometers an hour. So like, intense. Yeah, you need. Did you love it? Oh hell yeah! Did you get your aggression out? Definitely. Oh, if. If some girls were in front of my my net trying to screen me, I'd put my stick in front of their skates and then push them in the back so they would trip. But you'd have to do it so the ref wasn't watching. But because it's definitely not. Uh, And but when you're a goalie, you get a bit more leeway. They're like, oh, they must have just tripped in front of the net. Nuts. Yeah. Badass. I didn't know that. What about snucking out of a Russian military checkpoint? What happened there? Uh, I was in Dubai in Russia, and I wanted to go for a hike. Uh, so I was just like, cool, all right, I'm going to go follow this path. And I was walking, and then this van pulled up beside me, and the guy who was driving just kept saying stuff in Russian to me. I was like, well, okay. Um, like, what? don't speak Russian but then I heard him say Mishka 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 and that word I did know which meant bear so oh. I just got in his van and he drove me and like 20 meters away there was a family of bears so he was like you just get in the van because I don't want you to be eaten by by bears but because I was in this van it was like an excursion van it was just him and I we roll up to the Russian military checkpoint because we were really close to the Georgian border. Um, and because I was in this van with him, they just waved me through. Otherwise, I would have been turned away. So I get past the security checkpoint. I'm like, cool, thank you. And I just continue on the hike. And the hike actually goes um, over the Russian-Georgian border. And all it was was like a little hut and with a sign saying like, this is Georgia. And I just walked in, enjoyed the sights, uh, turned back around. Luckily, I met a Russian guy who drove me back across the uh, military checkpoint. I feel like you're really good at getting to know people. Probably also the music industry <laughs> helped you. Finding some Russian some guy in Georgia to <laughs> smuggle you back in. Yeah, I mean, if I hadn't done that, who, who knows where I would be right now in in a bear's tummy yeah bear's tummy russian pri- prison you've lived a dangerous life yeah watch out what about at night yeah watch out watch out for emma she might trip you <laughs> <laughs> um what about the 90 hour train where can where can one do that uh again in russia 
that was from Krasnoyarsk to Dubai, so that would be on the way to this place where I was going to go for the hike. Uh, that like cut through Kazakhstan. Yeah, that was a long train. It stopped at various spots, but that is probably the period of greatest self-reflection I've ever had, because I was by myself, couldn't speak Russian, uh, and just had to speak with people using like body language or signs. But I did end up learning how to play this Russian card game called Durak. So whenever a new person would come on the, the train, I would make friends by just going Durak and we'd play a little card game. That's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, was the good. Russians. No. You can play with Emma. She knows. <laughs> well, thanks so much. I think it was really interesting, honestly. Um, we learned a lot about the music industry and your story. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I hope you liked it. Yeah. <laughs>